is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello everybody and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast with myself and Corey. Corey, uh, nice to see you. First time I've seen you for a bit. How are we? Uh, Good, Jason. You know, we both had our individual media duties over the last crazy... uh, 48 to 72 hours. So it was a bit of a hectic weekend, but yeah, it's been a while since we've uh, seen each other on the podcast and we, we talk pretty much every day. Uh, but yeah, it's good to, it's good to be back in the chair beside you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a whirlwind of a weekend, um, you know, topped off with three points, which was always nice, uh, but pl- plenty more chat about that later on in the podcast, but th- we have got a game to talk about. And surprisingly in the championship, we've got a full week off. You know, that doesn't happen very often, does it? So uh, we we are going to be previewing that lovely trip up to Bramall Lane and the thirty-seven pound away trip, Jason, which, which has sold out, and they have requested another more tickets, tickets because Sheffield yeah. want to get Derby fans' money. But yes, we can look at the thirty-seven pound game, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure that, that might crop up. I know it's not, you know, that probably will crop up in this conversation, but we'll, we'll see. But joining us to talk everything about the Blades is Nick from Chef United Way. Nick, how are we doing? I'm very good, thank you. How about you? Yeah, well, you, yeah, <laughs> you have to be, yeah. don't you? <laughs> you have to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's not good times to be a Derby County fan, I'm assuming, right now. Well, the, the players are doing it on the pitch, aren't they? Um, I think... I think you guys were probably everybody's bottom club at the start of the, well, just before the start of the season because of what was going on. But yeah, they're putting in a, a big, big shift for you guys. They are. They are at the minute. How long that's going to continue for, we're not we're not too sure. But at the minute, you have to, you just have to ride it, don't you? You have to ride ride the wave and and see where it takes you. I think ultimately... Derby, it, it's always it's always the same. Derby do well, and you know they'll get shafted out one other way. It, ah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But if Derby stay up this season, I think it's just going to be it's just going to be a miracle. I think it's I think even if it looks like Derby going to stay up with about seven or eight games to go, some other random charge will turn up that Derby get fined again or or more points, more points, more points, and it'll be something like that. I think Derby, I think I think we can all agree Derby are going to be a League One club next year, but. You never know. You never know. Um, but somebody who was obviously a Premier League club not so not so long ago. <clears throat> it's one of the. Do you know? It's that season that obviously you went up. For me, you played some of the best football in 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 the championship. You you really did. But then you looked at it and you thought to yourself. That squad's going from looking from the outside in, and I'm sure there's plenty of Blades fans that thought the same. You looked at it and thought, mm, "That squad's going to need a lot, a lot, a lot of additions to, to cope with with the Premier League." Now, obviously, you'll be able to tell us a little bit better than probably what me and Corey know. But again, looking at it from the outside in, 
there wasn't that much of, of additions. Certainly not, obviously, we know about the two that came from us. Um, and, you know, I always looked at it and thought, I, I, I didn't expect Sheffield United to do as well as they did. Obviously, the first season, you stayed up. The second one was, with an, you know, with another year's money behind it as well. It was, again, it was probably just, you thought to yourself, mm, not, I'm just not so sure. I'm not so sure. I want to touch on this first before obviously we move into to the here and now, that because mm-hmm. obviously it's been in, it's been in. What's your overriding emotion from, from those couple of years in the Premier League, Nick? Is it a uh, glad we were there? And obviously the optim, the optimistic is, the optimism is to be back there next season or... Was it a case of okay, we went up, never really did anything to probably deserve to stay up, and we've got to fight again? Oh, 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 oh. I'm not sure about that. We finished ninth in the Premier League after you after did. coming up, you and did. everybody thought we were going to finish rock bottom, twentieth in the league, and we went and shocked everyone. We the the players that we brought in, uh, Luke Freeman, Callum Robinson, Ollie McBurney, barely any of them did anything in that first season. So it was all the players from the previous season that kind of pulled together. They all played out of the skins. They all played brilliant football. Like It wasn't just like kind of luck or big boot or whatever. We played some excellent football in that first season in the Premier League. Um, we, we tried to, obviously we brought in Sander Berger in January because we knew in January that we would be a Premier League club the next season um, because of how well we started. It would have We would have had to have fallen off a cliff to have, got relegated uh, that season because I think at one point we were kind of fifth I think that was the highest we were at one point and, and fifth going in I think it was fifth or sixth going into kind of the the lockdown and if that lockdown wouldn't have happened who knows we could have still been in the Premier League right now we'd have built on it and stuff but that lockdown we kind of again like like I've just said we we, we did fall off a cliff slightly we we had certainly had some uh, really good results like we beat Chelsea at Bramall Lane uh, we'd be uh, Spurs at Bramall Lane. We'd be Wolves, who were obviously flying high at that point. Beat him in the last minute. So we certainly had some good results, but we, we weren't beating the teams that we were beating earlier in the season. And and that first season in the Premier League, we were beating teams by one goal. We were keeping clean sheets. We had an excellent defence. We had a great goalkeeper behind them. Um, and um, yeah, the... the, the we weren't really conceding any chances and the ones that we were conceding, Dean Henderson was saving. So uh, you can't really put it down to anyone. Like a lot of people have said that, oh, the reason why we stay, uh, we did so well the first season was Dean Henderson. It's like, what a load of rubbish. Um, but we played some fantastic football that season. And then last season, we there was a lot of things. Obviously, no fans being there is always going to impact a club that kind of thrive on that and we don't we yeah we didn't have the players that kind of your you, um your bigger clubs did have um and, and really the players that we had like I said thrived on that that crowd and needed the crowd to give them that lift so it was obviously that um Jack O'Connell getting injured kind of threw our complete game plan out of the window because we had nobody that could replace him as a as a left um left-sided kind of overlapping centre-back. So we played completely down the right, which played into everybody else's hands. And the fact that we went 16, 17 games, whatever it was, without a win, every single week, nobody wanted to lose to us. So after you've not won a game for six or seven games, nobody wants to lose to you. Nobody wants to be that embarrassing club that 
um, let Sheffield United beat them. So everything kind of came together in the wrong way, if you like, last season. I do think that um, if, a, if a couple of things would have gone our way, we'd have had a lot better season, we'd have had a, at least a chance of staying up. But yeah, it, yeah, everything kind of went wrong last season. And um, we, I, I enjoyed being in the Premier League, but at the same time, I really enjoy being in the Championship as well. Going to because I feel in the Championship you've got real football fans. You haven't got kind of um, fans from the Middle East that's never been to that country and and are constantly posting on Facebook and, and Twitter and in YouTube comments and stuff like that saying banter club um, this that and the other. It was just it's just relentless and it's like that doesn't happen in the Championship. Actually, in the Championship, if you have a bad start, they say a lot more hurtful things because they understand football more than uh, pr- these Premier League fans, if you like. So it's, um, yeah, I-, I like being in the Championship. Um, but yeah, I'd-, I'd be lying if I if I said that I didn't enjoy the Premier League. Yeah, I-, I think I think that's fair. And you're right. I was doing a bit of a disservice on that first season uh, in the Premier League. You, you really did did surprise some teams and played some good football. And I, mm. I can't remember if it was last pre-season or the one before we where we played in the friend we played each other in a friendly at Pride Park. And I remember watching the game. That was last <laughs> season, Jason. We recorded we were recording. We were, we were recording. Yeah, we did a watch along on that as well. Yeah. yeah. We, and we, that we, was we, like the last 24 hours before we lost both of our fullbacks to to Sheffield United. <laughs> yeah, ba- based on that game, clearly. And <laughs> obviously I always remember you, you mentioned it a little bit there with the with the style and formation and the way that Sheffield United were playing it, it was completely different to anything else really that any other any other teams have played and I know from that uh Corey I'm sure you'd agreed Derby actually from that point on kind of implemented not quite the same but they they changed they changed their style to, to something something similar um it didn't really work out under Koku so we, we stopped doing it pretty quickly but you know that, that that's a that's a hats off to anybody if you, if you try and emulate the way that they play um, before we move it on into more present day matters, I think there's one there's one person we have to talk about because he, he is a big he was a big person at Sheffield United and obviously somebody who's missing now, and that's the manager Chris Wilder. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know what? From, again, from the outside looking in, look, looks a fantastic manager. When Derby were looking around, sniffing around for a new manager, his name cropped up. Obviously, he was out of he was out of work at that point. I know he was heavily linked with the Nottingham Forest job just recently, but it looks like that that's probably not going to happen now. It looks like Steve Cooper's going there. Just sum up the time that obviously Chris Wilder was there at Sheffield United. He was there for a while as well, you know. And and ultimately, what what kind of led to him losing his job when it looked like one of the not the safest jobs in football. That's probably not mm. quite the right one. Right I, I would agree with that. Mm. I would absolutely. And that just proves that there's no safe jobs in football because we all said, do you know that first season? I think that was Chris Wilder's biggest downfall because I think everybody expected us to go down 20th uh, rock bottom. And uh, obviously we didn't, we had an absolutely fantastic season um, and we did the season after. And, and I think a lot of us said that if we did go straight back down, Chris Wilder would be the man to take us straight back up. But having that taste of kind of, um, well, taste of Premier League money, you'd probably say, finishing ninth, obviously, however high you finish um, tells you how much you're going to get. And uh, I think us obviously sniffing that and then and then kind of going from buying these players for 20-odd million 
like multiple players for, for 20 million. We signed Oli McBurney, which was around that. We signed Rian Bruce for 24, Sander Berger for 22, 23. It's a lot of money that we spent. And then um, I, I think really a lot of us now think that it was kind of squandered a little bit. But I'll go back to Chris Wilder because Chris Wilder is God to us. He always, well, taking us from League One with 100 points to the championship in his first season. First of all, we spent six long years in League One and that that took everything out of us. It, it literally gave us our football club back because the, the crowds were dwindling. The um, we, we, we didn't really have a manager who cared enough. And Chris Wilder being an ex-Chef United fan, ball boy, player, now manager, he, he had a bad start. He, I think he didn't win a, a game in four or five games. Like it was that until he won a game. And um, especially with the players that we had on the books in League One, we shouldn't have been where we were. And um, yeah, going from not winning a game in four or five games to 100 points in League One, fantastic achievement. Um, then we steadied ourselves in the next season by finishing, I think it was ninth again, ninth or tenth. Uh, and then went again. I don't think any of us expected to get promoted in such a quick time to the Premier League. Um, but... For me, the, the season that we got promoted to the Premier League felt a little bit like the first season we got promoted from League One to the Championship because we were like, we know we've got a really good side that are together, but who knows what's going to happen next season. Um, and um, and obviously, both both seasons, we, we passed with flying colours, if you like. Um, it's just a pity that, that that poor season that he had last season has really blotted his... Um, is card really because I think a lot of teams, if it wasn't for that such a bad season that we had last season, people would have been falling over themselves for, for Chris Wilder's signature. And um, I'm really surprised that Nottingham Forest didn't take a chance on him because he's such an excellent manager and um, he's proved it like one bad season does not make a manager a poor manager. Like he's that's the first time he's ever. Um, not been successful at a club. Like every season, he's he's just got better and better and better and better. So yeah, it's obviously you guys probably don't want Forrest to uh, have a decent manager. So <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's but yeah, he he's gone from he is God. He's he's always gonna be God. But at the same time, I think a lot of fans he's left he's left Sheffield United with a lot of players on big money that we don't really want. And um, I think transfers is the only thing that Chris Wilder really fell down on. And that, that's always a symptom, Nick, of, of what tends to happen when teams come down. I know Derby kind of did that when they went down after the 11-point season, and it took them a long time to, to find their feet again in the championship, and then it took them a long time again after finding their feet to, to compete at the higher end of the championship to, to get to the promotion and ultimately to the point that they are at now. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, that, that's the mark of, you know, that's the mark of the manager. You get that, you get that Premier League money in, you have to get, you're shopping at a different store. You got to pay more money. Players are going to want new contracts. They're going to want Premier League money. You come down, it's a very tough adjustment period and, and things like that. So Sheffield United, ultimately, you know, I think, I think we could all see the writing on the wall last season for Sheffield United um, a little bit earlier than when the board made the decision to sack Chris Wilder. And I was, you know, I was of the opinion, it was like, you either need to, sack him earlier on or you need to let him finish out the season because he's earned that much because you're going down anyway it doesn't really make any sense to sack him with like eight games to go or whatever what i will say sorry to to jump in yeah. there he didn't actually get sacked um or he resigned 
Yeah, it, it, it was more of a resignation because I think, well, I've, I've heard that it took that much out of him because it's, it's again, it's his, it's his boiled club. I've I heard some really like he was in a really dark place and he resigned, he tried to resign two or three times. So it, it's not a case of, I don't think he, he was ever going to get sacked. I don't think he was happy with how the club was run. I think he, he thought that he deserved to, to have more of a say on certain things. I think a few players were bought, um, not behind his back, but he didn't necessarily want them and um, and they were bought anyway. So I don't think he, he enjoyed how the club was being run at that point. But obviously it just took out, took it, like everything out of him, uh, losing so many games on the trot and, and not just that, losing so many games by one goal. There'd be one tiny mistake somebody would make. And obviously in the Premier League, you can't do that. If that happens, you're going to get punished. And us missing multiple chances and, and giving away one tiny um, mistake and, and, and giving away that goal, I think it just it just took it out of him. Like that. And it's, it's hard to say because um, obviously he, he, didn't get, he didn't get the sack, but a lot of people thought that eventually he might get the sack because do we try and save our season, like you were just saying? Um, or do we let him ride it out and then end up seeing if he can bring us back up the season after? So, like you say, it was a bit of a middle ground, wasn't it, where he didn't get sacked when he possibly should have done, but then he did end up leaving at a time where there was no return. There was no way of us kind of... Um, uh, getting our season back on track. And I think that's why they ended up gave, giving the job to uh, Heckingbottom, who was at that point the under-23s manager. So it was kind of like, we know that we're not going to get out of this, but do you want to have a go, mate? And uh, and we won't pay uh, a manager. We'll, we'll kind of have the, have the off-season to think about and assess who we want in that position and how we want to move the club forward. Yeah, and, and they made that decision. And... Uh... Slavasa Jokanovic, formerly of Fulham, has come in and, and got the job now at Bremel Lane. Um, and he's, in my estimation, and, and you'll probably know more, obviously more than this than me, Nick, but it, it seems like he plays a slightly different style than, than Chris Wilder. And Sheffield United, you know, are a little bit lower in the table than I think everybody kind of anticipated to the start of the season. After eight games, they've got two wins, three draws, and three losses. Um, and and before we talk, before we talk about Jokanovic, slow start to the season. Was, was this expected from Sheffield United? I know that sounds kind of stupid because we all expect our teams to win. Um, or, or how surprising has it been, this slow start to the season for, for the Blades? Um, it's not exactly surprising, I wouldn't say. I think we all expected that we were, we were going to be better than what we were at the start of the season. Um, but uh, Slavisi Kanovic's sides are notorious for starting slow. Um, so we knew that going in. Obviously, you think, oh, that's not going to happen with us. Like We've got a load of great players, really good team cohesion. But actually, we got, like, we, we bought, obviously, Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle from you guys. We had so many fullbacks, like, because that's that was a Chris Wilder way, obviously, overlapping centre-backs and, and fullbacks overlapping and getting to the byline and getting crosses in. We had about, well, we've probably got, still got, like, three, four left-backs. We've got two really good right-backs uh, vying for the same spot, obviously Jaden Bogle uh, being one of them. And um, the problem is when, when you've got a manager who's wanting to play a completely different system that you don't have the players for, you're going to expect that you're not going to have a very good start to the season because it was chopping and changing constantly. It was like, we're trying to play 
four at the back. He wants to play four at the back. He wants to play wingers, but we don't have wingers. We don't have many quick players. We don't have many skillful players. It, it was always, all, always for Chris Wilder about pass and move, pass and move, pass and move, create those triangles, create those overloads wide so that we can get into a good position to play a ball into the box. And with Slav, we're, we're, it's completely different. And, and start of the season, all we were doing we're just passing sideways and backwards. And we we didn't have that player that could find that killer ball. We didn't have the pace to, to, to catch teams on the break. We didn't have that skill to beat a man. So all we were watching was our players going sideways and backwards, sideways and backwards. And then it would work its way out to the wing. And then we put a hopeless ball into the box and it get headed away. And it's rinse and repeat. And uh, that's that's been the problem um, with us at the start of the season. Like, like I said... I didn't expect us to have a bad start, but um, like with what kind of Sunderland did, what with um, Huddersfield did, when you have a really, really bad Premier League season, it's difficult to get out of that mindset of losing every week. It's the same with winning. When you win, like when we got promoted to the, the, the Premier League and in the Premier League, you've got that winning mentality, that winning habit, and it just rolls on and rolls on and rolls on. Like I said, it's the same with, um, with losing as well. And um, we we walked away from Luton away, and um, we created literally like one chance where uh, Luke Freeman had a shot from outside the box, and it rolled to the keeper's hands. And we we're like, "How are we going to turn this round? How? Because we we've got no players with any creativity whatsoever." And Slav went from kind of tried to play four at the back, then he thought, "Right, okay, this isn't working. Let's go back to what the players know." But then we weren't playing the overlapping centre-backs, so it was kind of hoping that the wing-backs were going to create stuff and the, the midfielders were going to create stuff. And it wasn't happening because it wasn't kind of like... They've been um, trained into the Chris Wilder way for so many years that they were obviously struggling to play any other way. But, um, yeah, like I said, not a surprise, uh, not a massive surprise, but <laughs> I thought we'd had a few more points on the ball. But it's not just points, it was goals as well. We only scored one goal in about five or six games at the start of the season. So we really, really struggled to uh, to score goals. It wasn't so, so bad with the uh, with conceding goals because, um, yeah, we, 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 didn't create, um, we didn't concede too many. Obviously, the, uh, the the West Brom game, we got battered 4-0. But other than that, we, we, we didn't struggle to keep the ball out of the net. It was just scoring goals. And now it's the complete opposite. Yeah, I was going to say that. The, the, the form turned around uh, a couple of weeks ago in Peterborough. <laughs> We're going to touch on that in a minute. But as we say, Jukanovic is, a, you know, as the manager, he's one of them managers that clearly have been in and around the English game for, for a few years now and has got a stellar CV of getting clubs into the Premier League. Obviously, his percentage rate of keeping them in the Premier League is a little bit different. Nick, your opinion and you know a, a general Blades fan's opinion of of bringing him in as uh, as the as the next manager. Um, I don't I don't think he was the number one choice. Um, it, it felt like it was kind of gearing towards um a uh what was he I forgot what he is now. It, it, it was um Alexander Blessing. He was he's managing in the Belgian league, and it seemed like. Um, he's one for the future. And um, I think that's who, who um, the owner wanted, uh, but it didn't quite work out with visa issues and things like that. So I think Slavisi Kanovic was probably, on paper, the best uh, best manager that we could hope for because he got two 
Um, two promotions on his CV. He plays excellent football, or he had done in the past. Watford fans and Fulham fans, all they could say were good things about Slav. And um, I think the, the, the problem that he's, or, he, or we thought that he had before was that he'd been out of it for a few seasons. He's not done a lot in Qatar. I know like he's obviously gone for it for a payday um, there. And um, and really, do you know when you get out of it for a couple of seasons and, and you're like kind of mid-table in a, in a really poor division, it's almost like as he lost that kind of um, that umph that, that got him to kind of taking Watford and Fulham up. Um, but I, I, like I said, I thought he had the best CV to take the club forward. Yeah, maybe he doesn't play the, the football that we necessarily uh, had played under Chris Wilder. But we thought if if he got the money or he could move some players out and bring some players in, then he could have got the team that he wanted. Maybe it might have been a two-season job. But I still think that he can get us promoted, even maybe this season. Like I think we all wrote us ourselves off uh, kind of a few games ago before the international break, before we brought in... Um, a couple of the, the, the new players. Um, but it's completely turned around, like I just said. We, we've scored loads of goals. It's the, the conceding goals that's a problem at the moment. And, um, yeah, his, his football, his brand of football, is very, very exciting to watch. And like I said, if he has the players at his disposal, we will have a very good season. And um, it started off kind of after the international break, after signing Morgan Gibbs-White from Wolves and uh, signing one of our young youngsters on a longer contract, Illumin and Dai. Um, they've been absolutely phenomenal together. So it's exciting right now. So walk me through, Nick, because one of the marquee signings that kind of stood out for me this summer was Morgan Gibbs-White. I know he got his first goal um, recently as well. Um, how, how, big of, how big of a player is he going to be for the Blades this season? Um, if we can keep him for the full season, I have a feeling that he can take us to the Premier League pretty much on his own. He is that good. He, he will be a very, very special player in the future. Um, right now, I, I feel like he's the best player in the championship. And I think as long as he can stay fit, we can keep him for the full season because Wolves have not had a great start to the season. So I'm hoping they put their hand in the pocket and, um, and, and buy some players, buy the way out of it, rather than taking him back because... He is a special, special player. And like, like I said, within three games, he's got two goals and, and two assists. I think it, it might even be more than that. But it's not just about goals and assists because he just makes us tick. He He's always wanting the ball. He's always kind of wanting... And, and he's like a, like a kid in a playground. He's like always wanting the ball. He's like kind of... There's a lot of players in this division that kind of shy away from it and don't really want to... Um, take that ball and be like, this is mine. I'm going to advance us up the pitch. Well, certainly we haven't got too many players like that. And um, he's very exciting to watch. Um, Illumin Indai got two goals in his first game and an assist. And I think a lot of people were talking about Indai, but he he came off um, with cramp in the first two games around the 60, 70th minute. So there's question marks on his fitness, but Morgan gives why. He's just a is a fantastic player. And like I said, it, as long as they don't pull him back after, after January, because I do think they've got um, a recall clause in that contract wolves. Yeah. It, it can, it can definitely, definitely advances up that league and, and 
hopefully get us promoted at the end of the end. Because I know I know Gibbs White had a very similar situation at Swansea last season where he was doing quite well. Wolves recalled him and basically Swansea were not the same force that they were with him with mm-hmm. the team. Um, and he went on obviously to play play a little bit in the Premier League. I think the thing that stands out for me as well, Jason, um, is Sheffield Wednesday or she, yeah, Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sheffield United do have a uh, have a glut of uh, of, of top class strikers. You know, when I look at it, they've got Lise Mousset. Um, they've got um, Billy Sharp, obviously the age is the wonder. Rian Brewster, Ollie McBurney, who's famous for his random Twitter videos where he's probably not most coherent uh, states. Um, and then you have, and then you have obviously, who in my, my, my estimation is probably the best striker at Sheffield United. And that is David McGoldrick, because I like the way McGoldrick works hard. I like the way he, he, he hustles and bustles and gives himself about. But obviously Billy Sharp would be a close second there. Um, as well, because I just don't like Ollie McBurney. Um, Nick, walk me through walk me through the striking options here, because Rian Brewster was bought for a lot of money, hasn't really hit the heights. McBurney, his form is patchy. But, I mean, they're relying on two veteran hands here, McGoldrick and, and Billy Sharp, and Billy Sharp's still tearing everybody a new one. Um, I think he made his, like, 300th Sheffield United. I mean, he's, he's, like, he's a legend. I think he made his 300th appearance for Sheffield United um, at the weekend. Walk me through McGoldrick and, and Billy Sharp here. We can be really, really good friends, me and you, Corey, mate. Right. So David McGoldrick is my favourite player. Favourite player. He's that got been me injured. out of saying Sheffield Wednesday, so thank God. <laughs> yeah, just about, just about. Uh, yeah, David McGoldrick, obviously last season, scored, um, well, top goal scorer for us in the Premier League. Uh, nobody, like, we, 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 signed a, we signed an Ipswich croc in the Championship, and he turned out to be one hell of a player. Now, he's injured at the moment, so... I can't see him featuring in this game. Um, but I think a lot of fans have written him off a little bit because he doesn't quite fit into a Slav team. So I'm hoping that that's not the case. I'm hoping we find a position for him because, like you say, he's, he's, he's a fantastic player. He's great on the ball. Um, he, he never gives up. And and <laughs> the complete opposite to Ollie McBurney, like you said. Ollie McBurney, I am not a fan. I, and he's blocked me on Twitter actually for something that I said about him. So um, that's when you know you've made it. Yeah, absolutely. He must be searching his name to find that because uh, all I said was that he'd been in that much trouble that he's more uh, hassle than he's worth. I think a lot of other people have said worse about him, but that's fine. I, I don't particularly like him myself. Um, he obviously we bought for a lot of money. When I saw that we bought him, I watched. Um, He'd, he'd ripped us a new one for Swansea, for Barnsley. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we've got this player. He's big, he's strong, he's good on the ball, he's good in the air. You watch the YouTube videos, don't you? And you think, wow, this guy is the real deal. He's got everything. And it turned out he got nothing. Like, it's just unbelievable. Like, on paper, yeah, he's not got the strength that I thought he did. Um, but on paper, he should be our, our number one striker every week. Um Obviously, Billy Sharp has been banging the goals in. Uh, I put a tweet. Everyone was saying that Brewster and McBurney need to start week in, week out this season before the start of the season. And um, I understand that because they are a lot younger. They are probably, you would say, the future of the club. Um, but Billy Sharp, like, you never write Billy Sharp off because he's like, he doesn't need the pace. He's never really had the pace in the first place. So he's always in the right position. When he gets a chance, he puts it in the back of the net. Um, and, and right now, he's got players around him 
that are putting the ball on a sixpence frame. Actually, against Peterborough, three assists. So we scored six goals and he didn't score one of them, but he had a fantastic game. And um, yeah, it's, it's just quite funny that we've got a thousand strikers on the books and we're playing one and it's 35-year-old Billy Sharp. Um, Rian Brewster, I'll just finish by saying Rian Brewster, I don't know how he's going to come into form. I really don't. I feel sorry for the lad. Um, he seems like a really nice kid and he tries hard and everything, but everything's going wrong for him. Every time he has a shot, he goes straight at the goal, literally straight at the goalkeeper every single time. Either that or it's in row double Z. Um, but it's not just that, it's everything about it. it's his touch. Everything is just off. So we keep thinking that he's going to come good, but it's just not happening. I, I'm sure he will at some point, but we paid 24 million for a lad that can't get into a championship club. Jason, should we should we switch gears here and talk about another Sheffield United and possibly Derby legend, and that who also has over three hundred appearances and is part of the uh, the furniture now at Derby in our seventy eight year combined age backline, Mister <laughs> Philip Jagielka. And Jason, why do I always do this? Because when we talked with Sheffield Wednesday last year, I was calling him Sheffield United, and then I talked to Sheffield United this year, I didn't say Sheffield Wednesday, and I have Sheffield United written on my notes what I'm doing, but. Jason, Nick, should we, should, we have a, should we have a Phil Jagielka chat? Yeah, let's have a quick five minutes. Let's have a quick five minutes. I mean, obviously, Nick, you'll know him a damn sight better than what we do. We, we've had him for, for seven games, and he's probably the best centre-back we've had in 10 years at the, at the ripe old age of 39. He, <laughs> he has come in. Obviously, he trained with us. He was on trial with us, and we all kind of went, oh, right. Oh, Rooney's mate pulled in a favour here. Uh, with with the state of the, the you know our first well, I was going to say first eleven we didn't have an eleven in the summer that's the reason that he came in obviously eventually uh, he he's coming to help out he's only there till January as far as we know at the moment but talk about rolling back the years him and him and Curtis Davis at the moment at centre off I mean you can tell when a player has got that extra ten percent you can tell when a player has played the majority of his career in the Premier League. And Phil Jagielka ticks that box all, all day long. Obviously, you, you had him. Um, mm. any, 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 you decided that not to extend his contract. Was that you just got to look at the age and, and, and take it from there? Or was it more of a footballing decision? Did he just not play good enough when he, when he was picked for Sheffield United? Tough question. Um... I I think I said at the back end of the Premier League season um, we should have kept Jags on um, as in, sorry, coming into this season but the problem that we got at that point we were playing three centre-backs and he wasn't quick enough to play at right centre-back even though he could have easily done that back in his heyday at Sheffield United the first time, he would have been brilliant there um, and John Egan is our central centre-back John Egan is our best defender by far. Jags had a few good games in the Premier League. The first, um, the first season, he played twice uh, because John Egan was injured both times when we played Man United, and he played against Man United. Like he did okay, um, but we conceded a lot of goals against him. And um, as soon as John Egan was fit again, he was back in. Uh, the second season, he had some really poor games. But he also had a couple of really good games. And the thing is with Jags, 
However, it could it could cost us ten goals in one game, and we wouldn't say a bad word about him because we love him that much. He's he's a Sheffield United legend. He obviously came through the uh, the youth system at, at Bramall Lane, and um, and and yeah, we, we ended up selling him for four million to Everton, which obviously sounds like a steal, but it was back in the days when that was four million was quite a lot of money back then, um, and um, yeah, obviously we love him to bits, but. I think it had to be a business decision because I think he was on quite a bit of money. Obviously, at Everton, he was probably on, I don't know, 80, 70, 80, 90 grand or whatever. And he probably took a massive pay cut to come to us. But still, when you're looking at you, you've you've taken him on for one year and then you've extended it for another year, how much money was he on? And if we're going into the championship and he's coming out of contract you either say to him, will you take 10 grand a week or something, or we're going to have to move you on. And the thing is, I was really surprised because I thought that he was going to retire. Obviously, he's 39 years old. I knew he'd still got the legs for the championship. That's why I wanted us to keep him. But at the same time, can you really afford to pay somebody that wants to be paid well and is probably going to be sat on the bench? Um, But obviously, he came to you guys. You guys were struggling for, for players. I'm sure he's not getting paid a massive amount at Derby County, no offence or anything. Nick, he um, is getting £4,500 a week. Fair enough. <laughs> that's, uh, that's maybe speechless because, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll run about 40, 50 grand a week at us last season. Yeah. But he's been earning a lot of money for a long time. Look at that, so Jason. I'm... We actually got the better deal of a transport. Look at <laughs> that. that. Yeah, that's not very often. That's not very far. <laughs> we take other teams and, yeah, catch them with the pants down. There we go. <laughs> But no, he's, he's, we, we all love him. Um, he's, he's obviously a great player. He's never not going to be a great player. He's always going to be um, that professional. And um, yeah, as, as long as he doesn't need to worry about the pace too much, as long as he's not got Martial and Rashford running at him week in, week out, then um, I'm sure he'll be absolutely fine. He'll be great. No, nah, he'll have Ollie McBurney running at him. He'll be all right. Oh, are you gonna, well, Nick, are you going to are you going to be sh- chanting his name from the terraces yet? Yeah, that's a stupid question. Of course you are. <laughs> he will. He will. Cer- he will certainly be playing on Saturday. And uh, probably uh, Billy Sharp. Do you know what? I love. I, I love the, the the footballer of Billy Sharp. But I absolutely hate him because he <laughs> he scores every single wherever he's been. He scored. I mean, even strolled on in the cup game that we had earlier on this season, <laughs> which Derby did fully deserved to win, and just bowls in and causes Derby just chaos for for twenty minutes. He's done it throughout his career. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Billy Sharp. I'd be knocking on the manager's doors, going, "I've got this, I've got this," and 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 that'd be that. And he'll he'll bowl out on Bramall Lane on Saturday, and he'll he'll cause us all sorts of trouble. And Ollie McBurney, you may as well stick him up front because he'll cause us no end of trouble and all because we probably can't defend that well. But he will be up against Jags and uh, yeah, and, and Curtis Davis. But I must admit, he is becoming very quickly um, a fan's favourite. As I said at the beginning of that piece, he's a role. You can just tell he's got that. He's he's been and done it at that at that level above and, you know, at 39 to still be controlling a back line. Cause that is really what he's done for Derby. I haven't really seen him make a mistake. You're quite right. He can get caught out by pace. What do you expect? He's 39. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily play. I mean, to say that both our centre-backs are over 35, we, we do push our wing-backs up quite high and they do get caught out quite often. Um, but you know, that that's the way, that's the way that they play. But yeah, I'm. I'm sure he, he will definitely be playing, bar injury, which at the moment we've not heard. He'll, he'll definitely be there on Saturday, and hopefully he'll get 
he'll get a nice reception. But um, oh, talking about one hundred percent, he will. Good. Uh, and it's always nice when it when it works out like that. Um, that kind of leads us in, into. I mean, we've had a right good chat for the last forty minutes on on that kind of stuff. <laughs> Let, let's concentrate on the game for the next five for the last five ten minutes. Um, Corey, we said it. You know, we were looking back at those uh, that that next five fixture block for for Derby. Um, taking into consideration the cup game. Now, I do appreciate that Sheffield United certainly played a very different squad to probably what is their normal match day 11. Derby rotated the best that they could. And obviously, in the end, Sheffield United uh, won. But, you know, Derby, I think Derby's youngsters gave, gave a pretty good pretty good account of themselves. And we, we, we were all surprised with the start that Sheffield United made. And then, as we say, just these last couple of games, obviously the six past Peterborough, a team that, you know, Derby struggled to score past. Um, and this is the wrong time for Derby to play, be playing Sheffield United, isn't it, Corey? I, yeah, I think so. And I think, I think, but I think, Jason, it could go, it could go either way. I think you, what you're going to see, Nick, from a Derby perspective, is you're going to see a team that doesn't necessarily have the highest quality sides that, that, you, that you will see in the championship this season. Um, I think you'll see a team that uh, will fight, will will do everything to grit and grind to to get a result out. You can win ugly, you can pick up points ugly. Um, you know, I'd always said, and, and Jason knows this throughout our podcast the season is that for me it was the quickest to get nine points on the board for for an impending deduction. That deduction looks like it could be twelve. It looks like it could be as many as twenty one. So right now points are kind of out the window, and it's really dangerous when, in my opinion, Jason, when you have a team that has no expectation. You know, everyone expected Stoke to come into Pride Park on Saturday, steamroll a team that had just gone into administration, what, 14 hours beforehand, you know, with, with very little hope and, and real toxic environment, whatever. And they, the lads played really well, and they ended up getting the victory, and they could have won, you know, by two or three or even four clear goals. And, uh, you know, you, just, you got a similar expectation here at Sheffield, right? you got a Sheffield team that's kind of on the rise, a Derby team that, eh, maybe Stoke was a false game, you know, who knows? But, you know, this Derby team could come in and surprise a few. The young lads gave Sheffield a good game in the, in the cup, like you said, and, and were applauded off at the end by the Derby fans and picked up a lot of plaudits for that. And you've got a team here that has no expectation. You know, I know I'm Nick, you'll, you'll know the Sheffield United fan base better than me. I'm sure a lot of them are licking their chops to face a team like Derby because they're like, hey, we can keep the – we can keep the, it's just – it's exactly like you were in the Premier League season, right? Hey, we're not going to be those guys that get beaten by that team in administration that's facing a massive points deduction that have a terrible thing. And Darby have always had this mentality of, you know, it's just it's just the 23 men in this squad. It's the men, it's the man beside you in this dressing room, and we're going to go out there and and we're going to show them. And I think, you know, you're right, Jason. It could be a very dangerous game for for Darby because Sheffield are on the up, and they they could come in and, and Darby could come into Bremer Lane and easily get the floor wiped with them. And I think it'll be a unique experience after the administration to go into an away match, right? Because we haven't experienced that before because we've only had the home match. But on the flip side of that, you've got a Darby team that can go out there. And, and as we have seen so far this season, have not been outplayed by really anybody um, in this division so far. Um, you know, there were there were parts of the Birmingham game where, where that was a little different, but Derby have competed in every game that they've been in so far this season. And I would very much expect them to give Sheffield United a game because I don't think Wayne Rooney, um, who is now starting to probably grow on me a little bit after the stuff that, that, that has been going on, um, still don't think he's, he's necessarily the, you know, I think he's the right man for right now for Derby. Um, but you know, the, he's galvanized this team to, to fight and grind every week. And I think that they're, they're more than poised to give, to give Sheffield United a game. 
Um, so I, I can see this one going either way. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it is something that, f- from a Derby's perspective, it's, you know, they're showing a side to them. Corey, we've mentioned this over the last few weeks. The, the, the last three games, Birmingham, West Brom, Stoke, big physical battling teams. We expected to get bowled over. We expected Derby to get bowled over. I mean, the, the the Birmingham game was a little bit iffy, but then we go to West Brom and, and put in a defensive masterclass, which Jags was 100% the forefront of. And then, again, a Stoke team who, who like, they like the hustle and bustle. They like that kind of football. Although I think O'Neill's got them playing in a slightly different way. Um, they're still renowned, Stoke are renowned for that type of football. And Derby more than matched them, in my opinion, on Saturday. I, I, I don't think Stoke looked all as good as, you know, what third place that, that they are at the moment. In terms of the style that Jukanovic, obviously, we know the way that Jukanovic will have his, have his teams playing. But is it quite right at the minute, Nick, yet? Has he, has he really flicked that switch and, and now things are coming? Or is it? are you still, yes, you picked up a couple of results, but is it still a little bit of a, you know, it's not 100% quite right yet? Um, hmm. tough, tough question, really, because it's only really been, what, three games since the international break? And that's when, like you said, the, the switch was absolutely flipped because obviously going from drawing 0-0 at Luton where you have one dribbler of a shot all game to go in and smashing six past Peterborough. And I know it's only Peterborough, and a lot of people have said that, um, to go then and, and we're probably the better team against Preston. We, we conceded a goal in the last minute. If we didn't, then that would have been three uh, three wins on the bounce. Um, like I said, attackingly, attacking-wise, we've certainly flipped the switch. Uh, but the problem that we've had, and, and this is what I was saying through the Luton game when we drew 0-0, um, when we play five at the back, we defend excellently. Nobody can get anywhere near us. Play four at the back. Uh, sorry, play five at the back, that happens, and then um, we don't create anything. But when you play, when we play four at the back, we are susceptible on the break. Um, well, every which way possible, because we really struggle from the long throws into the box, the corners, the free kicks into the box. Most of what we have conceded this season have been either mistakes or we've been bullied, and we got bullied by Birmingham in the first game, which was the the complete worst game that we could have had to start this season. A team just coming to bully you and kick you. Um, after playing two seasons in the Premier League where we've adapted from being that championship side to being that Premier League side that, like, we were the team that didn't dive. And then by the end of the Premier League campaign, the second one, we were kind of diving every two minutes to because that's the only way you can get a free kick in the Premier League. So it's gone from that to referees not giving us anything because we're back in the championship, which... It's just foreign to me how referees in the same country can be completely different from the Premier League to the Championship. Um, but we, yeah, we really struggle at the back when we've got four when we're playing four um, defenders. But yeah, like I said, the the football since the international break, since Morgan Gibbs White came in, since Illumin and Dye came in, um, it, it's been incredible to watch. And and that might just be me. <laughs> having seen the Blades play really, really badly for like 18 months, but I really, really enjoy this this team playing now. And I've got expectations going into games that I didn't have before. Like when we played you in the Cup, yeah, fair enough, we 
we rotated and, and there weren't too many players that had played in the league at that point. But you guys were completely the better side. And um, and and th- this is, I can, I can be honest with you, this is a completely different team and mindset and everything compared to what we were back then. And it, it's weird to think over one break that that can just change. But it absolutely has. Three games, two wins, one draw, which should have been a win. So yeah, we, we're on. We're, we're we're doing really well right now. We are exciting, exciting to watch. I think we we've pretty much t- touched on the the, the um, you know the threats from Sheffield United. We've obviously touched on the weaknesses. Uh, one question I've got on that, Nick. You say obviously the difference between obviously the four and the five at the back is, is that something that you know you've been playing a bit more of the five away from home and the, and the four at home? No, 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 not really. What it was that. Obviously, the, the lads are used to playing five at the back and what Slav wanted to play for at the back. Um, and when it wasn't working and when we were conceding goals and stuff, he'd go back to the five, back to the four, back to the five. It was just whatever he felt like at that point. It was like he wants to play four, but he realised that when we did play four, we got caught out a lot. Um, but now we've got the the new exciting players in that can create these chances. Um, that's gone out of the window. It's like we're an attacking side now. And that's what Slav wants to be, an attacking side. So, like I said, it, it could all change throughout the season. We could look at kind of going to a, maybe a Fulham and not uh, maybe playing five at the back. But I doubt that's going to happen. I think we've found this is the formation that we're going to play all season. Like I said, F- Fulham and, and Watford, they were very attacking sides under Slavisi Kanovic. And I think that's how we're going to play for the rest of the season. I actually can't see us playing five at the back for the rest of the season at all. And I suppose one final question, Corey, before we before we wrap up and, and do the score prediction. Um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but um, the atmosphere, the atmosphere that there's going to be at, at Bramall Lane on Saturday. Obviously, um, I, I was amazed to read that Derby County had, had sold their allocation out. And that's not a knock on the fans because th- they have followed um, so far this season. I mean, what more can they do? Um, but we did mention it slightly off air. We, we, we'll have a couple of minutes talking about it. Obviously, the £37 ticket price does seem a little extortionate, I have to say. Um, n- normally, Sheffield United away is is one that I would go to. I'm, I'm not on Saturday mainly for that reason because I think that is a that for me is a bit too a bit too pricey um but Derby are going to be backed I'm not sure what the full allocation is but I know that obviously they've been, they've had they've been agreed for the extra 500 and I know there's normally a fair few that that get in behind the goal if that's still where they uh, they sit at Bramall Lane it's been a couple obviously a couple of seasons since we've been and the way that Derby's fans have, have elevated you mentioned something earlier nick about fans being back at you know uh, sorry the, the team struggling with with covid with no fans derby county struggled their arse off last season without fans as as you well i'm sure you were you were paying attention to with your with your neighbors across the road which exactly we, we managed that. to do you managed to do yeah. you a favor i was with. yeah well, i was watching you every week and i'm like all derby need to do is win this game and so many games you went, you were like two, um, one nil up, two one up, and I'm like, right, this is it. They've sorted it now. We throw it, and away. then it, and then it went to the final game, and I was like, yeah. 
they're going to stay up here. When's they going to find a way to stay up? And they nearly, I'm let's so face it, they nearly did. Yeah, I know. But no, it, it's, I t- to be honest with you, through the whole of this chat, some of the similarities that, that, there, that there is between what's been going off at Derby and, you know, some of the things that you've been saying at Sheffield United. Last season, we just got in that rut where we couldn't win. It, literally, we got that losing mentality and we tried our hardest to throw it away. But, mm. you know, we, we didn't in the end. So mm. that the rest is history. But as, like you said there, that, you know, the fans are back. And obviously with everything that's been going off off the field, we, me and Corey, have, I think, have been more than amazed, actually, with, with the response that the fans have had. And I don't think you'd blame the fan base for, for turning the back on Derby a little bit in some respects. I mean, gates are down at home, don't get me wrong. But I think we've sold out nearly every single away allocation. And, you know, it's going to be a, a really, it's going to be a real good atmosphere. And something you mentioned earlier, Nick, you know, about players wanting, needing to play in front of a crowd and things like that. It does feel like Derby are that 12th man at the moment. They, they certainly, it certainly feels like at certain points in games where you can, you know, if you're there or you're listening to it on the radio or watching it on the telly or whatever you're doing, you can just see that extra added uh, five, 10 percent. And I mean, it, it clearly it got Derby a point at West Brom last week. We should have lost that game. You know, you have to say hands up. Going into that game, you wait. So you're expecting a cricket score, but somehow, some way, as Corey mentioned earlier, the grit, the determination, and all that, and then the fans there. I mean, I, I love going to Bramall Lane because I think it, I think it is a great atmosphere, um, and I think we're really, really are set for one. Um, but, but just, just from your opinion, the the, the thirty seven pounds. Whoever sets that, what whatever that's about, you know, do you agree with it? Do you not agree with it? It's absolutely disgusting, and it's disgusting. Like we're not we're not a Premier League team anymore. It's almost like we're a Newcastle that's gone down, and we're like we're big boys now. And really, yeah, we should be the big boys on the pitch, but we shouldn't be charging. We're we're a Yorkshire club. At the end of the day, we're all tight. We we don't want to we don't want to pay it. So why would we why would we um, kind of make others pay it, it's, it's, it's bonkers. I thought going to Luton and spending £32 to go to Luton was bad. And, and it, it was really, let's be honest, because yeah. Luton's ground is ab- an absolute sty, really. It's it's nothing. And £32 to go there was, was horrendous. But yeah, 37 We've got a slightly better ground, but 37 quid. you shouldn't be paying that anywhere. It, 25 for me should be the most. And really, it's a lot of money. 37 quid you, you, on the south stand, which is the most expensive place that you can go uh, at Bramall Lane, is 41 for adults, 41 pounds. I've got a season ticket, and luckily, yeah, I've I've had a season ticket for oh, probably about 20, 20, 25 years, something like that. And last season, uh, sorry, the season before last, when we couldn't go to a lot of the games. Um, we got given a, a, a bit of a reduction. Um, obviously, we couldn't go last year, so no season ticket last year. But this year, I ended up getting my season ticket on the South Stand for about 350 quid, which was actually really good. Um, and I'm so glad that I have a season ticket because there's no way I'd be paying £41 a match. No £41, you expect a bit of entertainment for that, though, Nick, to be fair. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean, though? Like, you expect to show up and for £41, you... You don't want to be sitting there watching dire, you know, crap mm. all at a three o'clock on a Saturday and thinking like, 
I took time away from my family to to go and watch the you know a nil nil draw against a derby on a Saturday or whatever. Not to say that it would be that, but but it's it's not just forty one pounds though, is it? Because it's it's yeah, the it refresh, the, it's, the, it's the ride in there, it's the time, everything. it's the food because you're gonna get a pie and a pint of beer. I mean, that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna have a day out, right? I mean, that's the thing. But I mean, it's 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 murderous what these football clubs are doing and everything like that. And Jason, I know we're gonna talk about it in our next segment. I mean, the impacts of COVID have. This is air quotes. The impacts of COVID have affected Derby County and administration. Whatever. Yeah, so did the 70 million you flushed down the toilet. Whatever. But, I mean, you know, when you look at a club like Sheffield United, uh, Sheffield United, they have got parachute payments as well, you know. And they said throughout this whole pandemic that, you know, fans are the most important thing and, and we're missing fans and we need to get fans back in stadiums. And now they got the opportunity to do that. And they're like, and now the cash cow is back because I'm sure – you know, ticket prices, obviously everything increases, right? With inflation. I'm not mm. into to inflation. I understand that premise, but fans, we want fans back in the city. We want grounds packed. We want people to support it. But then when they come back, we're going to fleece the living hell out of them. And so, you know, Nick, who goes every week and he works hard for his money and Jason, who goes every week and works hard for his money and they want to watch their football teams, which they've not been able to do for 18 months. And we, oh, we want to be part of the community and, and you're part of this club and whatever, but I'm going to fleece the living crap out of you to go watch the team that you support. And oh, by the way, you can also spend extra 50 quid on the shirt, um, you know, and then you, we, we might do something for you. And by do something for you, we might have, you know, a puck a pie for 50p off every third game. And it's <laughs> or something like that because they bought too many chicken and leek pies. I'm just kidding. Chicken and leek, you know, whatever. You know, I mean, some some random crap flavor or whatever. And they think that they're doing the fans a service. And it's absolutely disgusting that it is that much money to, to go to to go to a, to go to a game. I mean. I know I pay the money because I come over for holidays and, and whatever, and, it, and it's a vacation for me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ, paying – I wouldn't pay that to watch a team down the road. I mean, it, it's its just disgraceful to be charging that much money. And, yes, the season ticket lowers the unit cost and everything like that. But for an individual thing, I mean, if you think about it, Nick, if you want to take – let's say you want to take your, your son or daughter, right, who doesn't have a season ticket, or you want to take your nephew or your niece or your, your girlfriend or whatever, you want to take somebody extra to, the, to a game – I mean, you're looking at 80, you know, 85 pound really for a day out. I know that's not 41 and 41 is not mm. five. That's not what I'm saying here. You know, two tickets and, and a pie and a pint or whatever. I mean, you expect some entertainment for that, or you expect at least to walk into a magnificent stadium like Tottenham, you know, where it's like, this is a brilliant experience for, for me to go to, you know, mm. and it's just, it, well, it's, it, you know, it's 150 year old ground. Yeah, but it's dilapidated. It needs doing up or whatever. I don't know what Bremer Lane's like. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Oh, it's beautiful, mate. It's beautiful. You should go. You should <laughs> I'm go just saying time. generally, right? You, you want a lot for that money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? I'm put my soapbox away now. <laughs> do you know what? The, the first thing that I thought, the two, th- sorry, the first, the, the two things that I thought when I came back to Bremer because I didn't go to the Burnley game, for the exact reason what we're talking about, the Burnley game was the last game of the season. That's the only game last season that we could go to. And they wanted to charge something ridiculous. I couldn't remember exactly what it is, but I didn't go. And a lot of people didn't go because they were like, we're not paying this. Like, we've not been able to go all season. You you could have at least made it like 20 quid an adult or something like that. You're not going to make a massive, massive amount on this. But they could have filled Bramall Lane up. You could have absolutely filled it, and they decided not to. So I went, obviously, first game of the season against Birmingham. The first thing I did was go to the toilet, and three of the hot taps weren't working. Now, you pay, we're paying 30, 40 quid of what some people are paying, and you can't even sort the plumbing out. At half time, I went down, there weren't any paper towels left. And it's like, these are the things that should be 
obviously like they should be the one thing that you can count on these sorts of things i had a pint and it was watered down it, it tastes like everything was wrong and do you know what to add insult to injury the one thing that we thought that chris wilder was going to leave us with was um kasabian comeback kid that we came out to for three or four seasons and they changed it and i oh. was devastated so yeah it wasn't a great start to the season and actually obviously losing to birmingham as well it, it, yeah bad bad start anyway put it that way I mean, don't, don't get me started on Pride Park with things that should be working that aren't. I, I kicked a chair off. I kicked a chair off. It's in just three years ago, and they've still not replaced the number. They've just written it on in biro. Ridiculous. We're looking at a two. We're looking at a one pound fifty bit of metal here. So, uh, but you know, things. We're not Premier. We're not ex Premier League. It's the, the money's obviously tight at Derby. <laughs> but right, we have gone on for more than enough. I think um, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before we, Jason, go, you forgot the most important part of the show. Absolutely, I, I never forget. I never oh, forget. I'm sorry. And we're getting we're getting more optimistic with these, Corey, uh, as we Derby are. keep defying the odds and picking up results. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, what we're thinking for Saturday against the Blades? Score prediction time. I mean, Billy Sharp, he's going to get out there. He's old. He knows how to do the business. But Phil Jagielka is older. And Phil Jagielka is going to have Billy Sharp in his back pocket. Billy Sharp is going nowhere. Ooh. Nowhere. Ooh. Billy Sharp, he can't even get change out of Phil Jagielka. He'll ask him. <laughs> Billy Jagielka won't give it to him. I'm going 2-1 Darby. The, ro- the ride's going to keep going. It's going to be a roller coaster, but it'd be very Derby to get a massive points deduction, go into administration and win two on the bounce, two one to the Rams. Oh, well, that, that is bloody optimistic. Um, Nick. Well, what, I can also what, give you another you... prediction. Ollie McBurney will not score because he is useless. Sorry. Right. You were wrong about Billy Sharp, but you were right about <laughs> Ollie McBurney. Um, what I will say is that Jags and Billy Sharp are very, very close mates as well. So, Jags will know in his head what to do to stop Billy Sharp, I'm sure of it. And obviously, we all know that Billy Sharp has no pace, so Jags won't have a have a problem with his pace. Oh, I wonder what – I'd love to see a 40-yard dash between those two. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would pay £37. That, that, that would say that would be worth the £37 alone. But come on, Nick, score prediction. Score prediction. Um, like you said, though, I, I can see Derby getting something out of this. I can see that happening. I really can uh, but obviously, I'm going to go with the Blades. Um, oh, I was going to say 3-1, but I think that's a bit optimistic. I'm going 2-1. 2-1 Blades. Morgan Gibbs-White to get one and Billy Sharp to get one. Yeah, I, I can't I can't not say Billy Sharp will get one because he does it every single bloody time. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I'm... This this train that, that seems to be rolling at the minute in, in Derby Station, it, I mean, eventually it's going to come to an end. But I, I w- I'm expecting it to come to an end against a, a nobody. And, you you know, one where you're really expecting something a bit like a Luton, like we mentioned. You know, I could see us going down to Kenilworth Road and getting dicked 2-0 or something ridiculous like that. I I think, Corey, we both said it, like as we said earlier, when we looked at this block of games, we kind of pencil marked Sheffield United based on the start that they'd had, that, you know, sandwiched in between two home games against Winnable. Um can, can we pick something up in this game? And I, I still think we can because I think Derby have shown that they can do it. I think if we'd got a midweek game this week and then again on the Saturday because of the squad rotation, we would be blowing out of our arse. And we know that we've got that to come in the championship season. But I think that the the, few, the full week off, I think, will help. It will revitalise. It will be a very same 11, if not the same 11, that played against Stoke on Saturday and showed that fight and determination and, and, and all that. 
And I actually think the way that, that Sheffield United will play might actually play into Derby's hands a little bit. They do sound like they're two similar kind of sides because Wayne Rooney wants Derby to play attacking football. It's a bit more possession-based, but he, he necessarily does want them to get them further up the pitch. Obviously, uh, Ravel Morrison is a, is a big linchpin in that. Somebody we've not mentioned in this podcast yet. So I don't know how we've, how we've gone through that without that. But, you know, he is, the, he is a linchpin of Derby and we have tried to push him further up the, up the pitch. And he, he looked incredible, I thought, against Stoke on Saturday. He missed an, I don't know if you saw it, Nick, missed an absolute sitter. Open net, went round the keeper and put it in the side net in at 2-0 up. That had been game and game and bed. But I, I've... I don't predict Derby to keep clean sheets very often because they, they do normally struggle to keep them. Um, and as you say, with, with Billy Sharp, you can just see it coming. And there are other players, obviously, in that Sheffield United side that they, they, can, they can cause some damage. I'm going to go down the middle. I'm going to go 1-1, I think. Um, I think a good point for Derby. Derby have just got to add what they can. If they can nick it, great. But for me, 1-1. And I think that's that's where we're, that's everything for the episode. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, a couple of years since you've been in the in the championship, but it, it's been great to great to meet you. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up next time as well. I'm sure we will. Thank you for having me. And I'm sorry if I went on a bit. That's what I normally do, and that's probably why this episode is quite long. I apologize. No, for that. It's all right. We do exactly the same, but so so not a problem. But. We always say it, all the best for the season. Um, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll catch up next time. And, and Corey, as always, thank you. Jason, I'm always here. Nick, thanks for taking the time with us this evening with the Sheffield United way. Sheffield United way. See, I got it right this time. Sheffield United way, actually. Sheffield, Sheffield United way. <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for uh, joining us this evening. And, uh, um, you know, all the best to you other than, other than for Saturday. And Jason, I'm always here. You are. Cheers, Nick. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. It were a good chat. Before the next segment, I want to quickly talk to you about the Fan Hub app. Fan Hub are looking to put fans first and change the game, giving back to the real heroes of football, us, the fans. Download the app now from Apple or Google stores and get involved predicting lineups, check in on match days, and check your fan statistics. Compete against fans of our club and other football teams. Let's help get Derby County up that leaderboard. Also, it's a great way to get media content from all creators across the FanHub family, including our stuff at the Rams Review Podcast for Derby County. Download today and you can avoid the queue using our unique code. Contact us on social media for more details and check out the FanHub app and website. I've got Ollie Wright, you know him. And, and Ollie, I want to talk to you because you're also an author. You've got your first book out. You, you volumized your Derby County blogs from the first section of the year. You sent me a copy. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's it's been a wonderful read. Sometimes it's it's really depressing today <laughs> when you look back at how it was back then. Um, but you know, thank you for that. And we can get your book on Amazon, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, it's basically volume one. So as we say, I've been doing the blog for just over a decade, uh, and I decided to basically put it into two sort of sum it up into two books. So there was a lot of editing work went into it, um, and the first volume's out now, which is the huge um i'm really proud to to say that it's out it's been a lot of work i've had a lot of help from a great editor a guy called gareth davis who's a, a huge derby fan he used to actually work for derby county uh he was the editor of the ram magazine uh and he's just been a fantastic help and without him i couldn't have done it um but yeah so it's this this volume that's out now uh is summarizes 2010 to 2015 so we start off uh in the kind of time of 
Alberto Bueno um, and, uh, and and Nigel Clough and Johnny Method. Um, and basically, let's be honest, mid-table mediocrity was going on at the time. Um, we had Chris Commons, Rob Hulks, um, but we were we were struggling to string results together. Um, and basically, it's kind of the story of how very slowly over those five years, well, over those next two to three years, uh, Nigel managed to actually build something which was um, a pretty pretty good team. Um, but it was only obviously after Nigel. Uh, got the push when Sam Rush came along and decided, you know, things needed a bit of shaking up. Um, and then obviously in came Steve and um, and suddenly the Rockets were put under the whole thing. So, um, yeah, I think that period, funnily enough, it's the pre-Mel era because it's, it's literally the season after this book finishes that Mel takes full ownership. I believe I mean, he was involved to some extent uh, after Wembley. I believe, and he was investing money at that point, but it was only 2015, 16 that he actually took full ownership. So this is the pre-Mel era kind of in a, in, in a nutshell. Um, and it, I think looking back on it, um, it was an era of stability. It was an era where, okay, we weren't American owners at the time. Weren't They weren't throwing money hand over fist, but we had W. Brett Wilson. Uh, we had... Um, basically a consortium who were kind of penny pinching but at the same time i think there was still there were still running losses you know i think it was something like seven million pounds a year that the that the consortium were underwriting to basically allow us to be reasonably competitive um and obviously we had an, uh, tom glick at the time was the was the ceo and, and and was kind of very much a guy who was hugely pro financial fair play and so he helped to kind of usher in the era of financial fair play so ironically, Mel kind of comes in after that, you know, and obviously I'll get, you know, I've got the second, but I'm trying to write the second book at the moment and it's going to take a lot of work, I can tell you that. But obviously this sets the scene. Um, and I think there's a lot of irony in the, in the fact that, you know, one of the, the key architects of, of FFP in the championship was Tom Glick. And that was ultimately what raveled up Mel, his, his successor. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I really hope people enjoy it. I've, I've seen there's some good reviews so far and um, I'm just hopeful that, yeah, if people give it a read, they'll really enjoy it. And um, yeah, I've, I've been very grateful to everyone who's bought it so far and yeah, I hope they enjoy it. And also with me is another, is another author um, and this time a little bit closer to home for me. Um, it's Mr. Ryan Bourne. Ryan, you're, you're a Derby County fan, but you're living in the States um, and you're obviously an author and economist as well. Um, explain to me why why Derby County. Well, I'm afraid it's one of those things that's been passed down the generations. My dad started supporting Derby, I believe, just after they were promoted to the first division under Brian Clough. So uh, we were talking just before we you know started recording here. He he jumped on the roller coaster at that stage, and uh, as as Ollie said, when you live through that and you live through the the club, then winning. You know, the first division title a couple of times, lived through the Clough era, the Mackay era. You're going to be hooked for life. And um, he started taking me to games as a kid. We um, we actually lived down near Gillingham in Kent, but we used to go about once a month um, to the old baseball ground and then uh, to Pride Park when it opened. And then from kind of 2014, I believe, we had kind of full season tickets from then on. And it became clear the club was really on the up at the time it, you know we knew that we were going to be kind of knocking on the door of the um 
of the Premier League. It was becoming more and more difficult to get tickets for the big for the big uh, matches as well. So we kind of we jumped all in. Um, so really, you know, Ollie's just described the kind of GS, GSE and then and then Mel era. Um, we were kind of front row spectators for the whole of the Wembley fallout and then the the Mel era, having been you know big Derby County fans for our our whole lives. And you know, football is one of the things I've been really thinking about with this recent news is the kind of fine margins. You know, you go back to that Aston Villa uh, playoff final. We perhaps didn't realise at the time just what a significant match that would be in terms of the future prospects of both clubs. You go up. Um, and yes, you'd still be, um, you know, you'd still have to suffer the consequences of having breached financial fair play. But with the, you know, even if you come down with the parachute payments, with the money that you get in the Premier League, with uh, assets that you might have that you're able to sell, it would be a completely different situation now. And I think, you know, building on what Ollie said, when we had that, that team was being built by Nigel. There were some, you know, early signs that that team was really progressing well. I remember being away at Millwall just before he uh, got the sack, a few weeks before he got the sack, and we thrashed them 5-1. Uh, Craig Bryson got a hat-trick. Um, and you kind of saw that things were happening. And having got so close in that game against QPR, I think Mel came in and I think egged on by us as supporters to a certain extent, we thought we were so close. All it required was a couple of decent signings to get us over the line. And we kept reaching, kept reaching, kept reaching. And uh, obviously stretched uh, far beyond our means in trying to achieve that Premier League football. And you know, in the sorry situation we are today. Um, so, yeah, long-suffering Derby fan, um, albeit from, from afar, both first from Kent and now from the U.S., long-suffering Derby fan could be the tag for pretty much every every fan in the stadium. You know, you see people on Twitter and they're like, long-suffering Derby fan. You're like, hey, that's me. Um, but yeah, you know, Ryan, I, to, to, to your point about the fine margins, I was watching the, the Leeds United-Newcastle game yesterday afternoon. Don't, don't tell my boss. I'm a little close to finishing time there. Um, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, like Derby, Derby had beaten Leeds a season before they had gone up. And then you're thinking about, you're thinking about that Roos, when Roos dropped the ball in the playoff final and you're like, wow, you know, like where Aston Villa are and where Leeds are today could have been completely, could have been switched to, to Zarbi County had, you know, the ball gone the right way or a team selection done differently. And, and then who do the loanees come in and, and, and whatever. And Ryan, I want to I come to you first for this because you're, you're stateside with me, right? Up the road in Washington, D.C. And 23 hours ago, Darby released a statement. And I think it was maybe 24, 25 hours ago that we started to get, you know, Ed Dawes broke the whole, you know, going into administration thing and, and the statement came out and then Ali, I'll come to you to get your, your thoughts on it. You read that statement about the club is entering administration or will be appointing administrators. What are you, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? Um, I'm pretty depressed. I mean, the, the first thing that you immediately start worrying about is the, the overall future of the club. Will we even have a club? Um, and some of the noises coming out from people who, um, things they suggest um, seems seems to suggest that they're better in the know than I am. Um, they seem to be quite down on the prospect that administration will wipe out significant amounts of debt. I think things are going to get worse uh, before they get better. Um, I think it's likely that a lot of the assets at the club um, will leave. Um, I think we're in for a very difficult um, transfer window in, in January if, and unless there's been some sort of 
uh, resolution with new ownership with deep pockets um, before then. And then you've got the prospect of obviously um, very likely relegation um, into a division that, uh, having spent a bit of time watching it with my local club, uh, Gillingham, is incredibly um, tough division. You know, to be near the top of that division, you both have to be able to play uh, football well, but also really, really mix it up against some very um, direct sides, shall, shall we put it, some very kind of agricultural sides. Um, so, you know, my immediate reaction is worry. Um, I think a lot of us have been a bit kind of delusional about where the club were, or at least um, dismissive of the, the kind of worst prospects. You know, thinking back to the summer when Stan Collimore tweeted that Derby were in deep, deep trouble and and could go, I think he, he referred to the, the Berry situation at the time. A lot of fans laughed it off. And I think in, in retrospect, he was obviously more in the know than than we recognised. Um, I, I do... Obviously, you know, the buck stops with one guy with this, um, and it's Mel Morris. Um, we don't know all the ins and outs of the situation. I recognise that all clubs have suffered through the pandemic and are in future going to have to cut their cloth accordingly. Um, but the truth is, in the aftermath of that playoff final, over the next three to four seasons, we did really stretch ourselves to the limits. Um, you know, Mel was pretty open at, at some stages of uh, talking about trying to, you know, maximise the flexibility around the financial fair play um, rules. I think the EFL haven't covered themselves in glory on this. Obviously, again, we don't know, we haven't been party to some of the conversations that have gone on behind the scenes. But to me, uh, it does seem um, not good governance of the game to retroactively kind of change your mind on approved accounts um and as i say i'm not party to you know all the conversations that have gone on and the, the full history of that but i don't think the efl have covered themselves in glory either um and i you know i think we're in for a, a very very difficult um not just rest of this season but the next couple of seasons too um all i hope is that you know derby as a club have so many fundamentals going for it we have got a big fan base. We have, um, we have got great facilities, a great academy. Um, and I just hope that um, there's somebody out there who can look through our present situation, uh, recognise that there is, a, there is an asset in there somewhere um, and is, is you know, willing to come in and help us in this difficult time. There are some clubs where you know, this this type of cleansing can be the best thing that, that happens to them. You've seen it with Leeds, you've seen it with Leicester. Uh, but for every one of those, there's there's other teams that um, really do struggle and, and go into a complete downward spiral. And that's obviously the uncertainty that brings the worry that, um, that uh, we're all concerned about at the moment. Ollie, same question to you. You got it around this time last night, a little bit later in the evening for you as well, before you, you know, obviously go to bed and, and whatever. How, how do you feel? What, do you, what are your impressions of, of this thing? And, and like Ryan says, is it, is, can you, is it a bit of both? Is it a bit of EFL and Mel Morris? Is the, is the blame solely at Mel Morris? Does Stephen Pierce play a role? Tell me, walk me through your thoughts and your feelings. Um, well, first of all, absolutely devastated. Um, I was cr pretty crushed. Um, and we, we weirdly, I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I first heard about it 
I was sent um, a screenshot of a LinkedIn post on Twitter. I think maybe Ryan and maybe you might have seen this doing the rounds as well. And I posted it up. And by the time I posted it up, I looked it up and I see Ed Dawes had already uh, reached out to the guy and it was confirmed pretty, pretty quickly after that. Um, I mean, I think there'd have been a lot of people had always thought that Mel would never do that. There was the whole, he's one of our own trope. Um, well, he did it, didn't he? So, you know, um, I, I personally put the blame squarely on Mel. I, I, I do agree. I think Ryan's overview of the situation was extremely good. And I broadly agree with what he was saying. Um, I don't blame the EFL for this. I blame Mel squarely. I think it's his decisions all the way, which have led us to this point. Um, I do, you know, it, it is it's true that it clearly took EFL a long time to get wise to what Morris was doing with the amortisation. Um, I know that Kieran Maguire, because um, he told me um, on a podcast that I did with him a couple of years ago when this whole surfaced, uh, he'd raised it with the EFL, the amortisation issue, and told them what, what, what Morris and Piers were doing. Uh, and it still took them an awful long time to to get their heads around it and then and to investigate it properly and then bring the charges. Um, the whole issue with the stadium sale as well was was dealt with very poorly. Um, but ultimately, if Morris hadn't been cutting these corners, if Morris hadn't been uh, getting creative, if if Morris hadn't been overspending, Morris knew the rules. Um, and he decided that he would work with, try to work within their letter while not really regarding their spirit. And I think ultimately that's what's come to, to haunt him and haunt us. It's, it's, it's us now. He, he walks away. Um, I mean, it's on his conscience. You know, he's the man who, who put this club into administration. I don't know how he deals with that, if he sleeps, how he sleeps. Um, but he's, he's gone now. You know, he's the past. He's, he's done as far as I'm concerned you know I never want to hear the word Mel Morris again um, clearly I'm going to have to because I'm, I'm going to put this book out but um, you know as far as I'm concerned he's, he's, he's history and very bad history to me and I blame him 100% and I understand I, I also would say that I believe and I know that others believe um, including the, the Football um, Supporters Association that the EFL should be abolished uh, I think it should be replaced by an independent regulator I think they've made a complete hash of, of looking after um, the game. It's self-regulation. I think too often self-regulation simply doesn't work. Um, I think clearly I'm not going to sit here and say I know exactly what an independent regulator should do, but I think it needs to be taken out of the club's hands. I think the bickering uh, has become into, it's kind of like, you know, cats in a sack. Um, and it needs a regulator to sit independently of them and start to make sense of, of the different cases that are brought to it. You know, it's, it's well known that um, individual chairmen have, have been very active in terms of pursuing Derby. Um, and obviously Morris himself feels that they had an outsized influence. But, um, you know, as Ryan said, this is going to take a very long time to sort out. And I think it, it's not really sinking in. I mean, we're still, what, 24 hours on. Um, we've just won a game of football, which was an emotionally... I mean, I was almost in tears when, when the final whistle blew. I wasn't at the game. I was, unfortunately, I've been nursing a... A rib injury. My little boy um, decided to put a reducer on me last week, so I've I've been convalescing at home. Uh, but I have got a season ticket this season, uh, but uh, I wasn't able to go today. But I was, I was listening to Ed Dawes on the commentary, and I yeah, I was welling up when we won that game. It meant so much, and I don't you know even though we're we're down, let's be honest, we, we're going down. Um, but for the players to to fight and put in the spirit despite everything that's happened, 
uh, was just sensational. And I, you know, I'm really looking forward to going and supporting them this season. It's going to be really difficult. It's going to be incredibly tough. But I want to be there and, and I want to support them. And, you know, it's, it, yeah, okay, League One, it's coming. We have to get our heads around that. We, and we just have to hope and as fans be vigilant and make sure that anybody who does come in um, is subjected to the correct amount of scrutiny. Um, and I know from previous experience that once names are in the frame, then supporters will go out there and do their due diligence on these people and they'll, they'll look into them and that's what we should be doing. Um, and I think we have to hope for the best, prepare for the worst, um, but whatever happens, we'll be there. And, um, you know, that's all I can say really at this point, you know, it's going to be a really tough period, but we're going to be there and we'll be we're, together. We will pull through it and we will, this, this club will not, you know, it won't be allowed to die. We'll get through it and we'll, we'll carry on um, at whatever level it has to be for, you know, for the foreseeable future. You know, there's probably penalties coming down the line. We don't even know about yet. Yeah, I think Ali, I mean, I've got very much the same perspectives as you and Ryan. I mean, I got the news last night and it was kind of a state of disbelief. You don't believe really what you, what you're reading when you, when you first see it. Right. And, and you see the, the initial, the link, the LinkedIn post, and then you're like, what is this going on? And then you're figuring, you know, like Ryan's zoom background, will show that the, the old famous corner flag will pop its head up again. And, and you'll be on a nice, uh, you know, player of the season kind of post there for the thing. And, and you sit there and you're like, just in disbelief and kind of shock. And it's not really settled in yet. And I still don't think 24 hours onward, it's still completely, sunk in for everything and I mean look Darby played a, a game of football today and they won a game against a high-flying Stokes side right they scored two goals and it could have been three or four and that's just secondary and we're not really even talking about that because I mean I'm sitting here and I, I'm like okay yeah I knew Stoke was playing I knew they were playing Stoke but I'm sitting and I'm like there, there's bigger issues going on in the context of this club than, than a football match but I mean for me I love I love Darby County and I love everything about the club I love the fans I love going I love the match day I love everything about it and I've loved it my entire life and it's 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 hurtful and it and it hurts and I think that you know when you think about it you know Rooney said it in his afternoon press conference and I know we've all talked about it as well as our, ourselves and amongst ourselves like the people that are going to lose here are the staff the people that put in their their hard-earned you know the people that get paid 40 hours a week to go out there and, and do the football club the front office staff you know the the kit man the groundsman the tea lady, the Rams TV staff potentially could be, could be there, um, front office staff and all those kind of things. And that's the disappointing thing. And Rooney, you know, Rooney even choked up about it as press conference that um, after the match, that, that, that there'd be some hard decisions next week. So it will be interesting to see how things shake out. But at the end of the day, those are the real losers. That's really the impact that, that a football club owner is, that has had on Derby County and Mel Morris, because you've wanted to get them to the promised land and you've, and yeah, sure. You've tried and you've done whatever you could and you've pumped money in and you've tried different things, which, hold your hand up. That's fantastic. I mean, he's tried a lot of different ways to try to get this football club up. Great. It hasn't worked. And at the end of the day, you've left, you've done it so unsustainably that you, that you've, you've put the future of the club and you've put the people that have been working there sometimes for years and decades at, at and you put them on the chopping block while you're going to walk away and you're going to go away scot-free from this. You're going to be fine. Mel Morris is still going to be a multimillionaire when he walks away from this. I mean, that's, that's how rich people have these playthings called football clubs. Um, and I do think that it'll be an interesting, an interesting crossroads. And which, which brings me, which brings me to this, Ollie, because you, you talked about relegation and I, I think that we were kind of expecting relegation anyway, with the way the squad was set up. And then we got the news of the points deduction and it was kind of like, yeah, you know, but then if you get the additional 12 on top of the nine or the 12 in lieu of the nine, 
Um, it is dire. It is pretty much a one-way street to League One football. Ali, do you see, and then after Ali, we'll go to you, Ryan, to get your thoughts on it. Do you see in January, do you see a fire sale, like a kind of like a Wigan? I mean, who's sticking around? Who do you think's going? Is it too early to tell? I mean, in your mind right now, what, what are your thoughts and feelings on this? Yeah, I mean, just first, I want to quickly say, yeah, I absolutely, the point you made about the ordinary workers at the club, I think is really important to make because, you know, my heart absolutely goes out to all those people at the moment. And I know, you know, I've heard stories already about people being really, you know, clearly very upset. And, um, you know, I think there's, it's important that as fans, I'm hopeful that something can be done. Um, I'm, I'm aware that there's a, there's a new group setting up and I'm hopeful that we're able to, to set up some sort of fundraiser or crowdfunder or something that we can, you know, try and offer some support because, you know, normal people are going to lose their jobs and, you know, not going to be able to pay their way, you know, their, their, their rent and it's just not on. And as, a, as, as we should all, you know, show, I guess we have a duty, you know, if we can to kick in and, and support those people because it's not their fault. Um, so I hope that, you know, we can all make progress on that. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the near future, um, clearly it depends very much on on how quickly owners can be found. I mean, we've all heard the rumours of various consortia. American consortia seem to get rumoured a lot. Uh, whether there's anything in it or not, I've honestly no idea. I mean, I was hearing rumours about consortia being interested almost to the point of the the announcement of, of, uh, of, of administration. So... Um, if there is someone waiting in the wings and they can come in quickly um, and start to, you know, and, and start to, to sort out the mess, then fingers crossed, we could retain some of, some of the talent. <clears throat> but clearly if not, then if we get to January 1 and, and we're still in under administration, then anybody who would attract a bid will have to go. And um, that's going to be heartbreaking. You know, I mean, we, we profited slightly from when Wigan Athletic had their, uh, administration um you know we ended up signing a couple of players from them but this is going to be a lot lot worse and it's going to be really tough and you know seeing players like Louis Sibley leave and uh you know will be hard um especially when you know that you're not going to get anything like what they could have been worth um you know because frankly clubs are going to extract the, the Michael they're, they're going to take the Mickey because they, they can you know any any sort of semi semi-sensible bid and the administrators have to take it. So you're going to see all those players, all the good players will go and they'll just be replaced by kind of shirt fillers to get us through the rest of the season. Um, you know, maybe some loans. I mean, credit to Rooney, really, because he, despite everything that was going on, he's kind of managed to put out a competitive team. You know, we're actually, as it stands, I mean, we're not, obviously, but we would have been 12th in the table, um, which nobody was expecting. So, you know, despite the fact that he's not been able to offer any wages um, and not been able to sign any loan players, he, he's still managed to put out a decent team, which is was competitive at this level. Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, once we get to uh, Christmas, if, if, that, if, that's, if, if, if we haven't got the new buyers in, then clearly that, that is just gutted. Camel uh, Yosviak goes, uh, Max Bird maybe would go, uh, Jason Knight would certainly go. Lee Buchanan obviously would go, um, blah, 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 well, you name them, they'll go, won't they? Anybody who's half decent will go. Um, so, yeah, and obviously Christian Bielik, I mean, as soon as he's fit enough to kick a ball, would go. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough. 
Um, so I, I think we can't we can't shy away from it. And it's as raw as it is now. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to take a long while to pan out. So uh, yeah, we're just going to have to see how it pans out in the in the weeks. We just praying that there's somebody. I mean, the, the sad thing is, is that like we were talking about, which fans play things and stuff. Football club shouldn't be that. We should be a community asset and we're not anymore because of the money that's that's flooded in at the top level um so ultimately it's beyond the ken of the community you know that there's nothing we can do we're almost like we're just hoping that somebody comes in who's who's whose pockets are deep enough to to sort this out which is, is a terrible situation to be in and i hate it you know that we're at the mercy of you know guys who have no probably have no i mean mel had a connection to derby but the next owner's I'm sure won't. Uh, so we and we, we we just don't know who they're going to be, whether they're going to be any good or not. Um, it's it's complete lottery. You know, you could get a fantastic owner come in who's sensible and runs the club in a really decent way and is intelligent and has good ideas, or you could get a, a loony. And there seems to be nothing that anybody can do to protect uh, football clubs from these maverick kind of crazy owners. Um, so we we're at the mercy. <laughs> We're at the mercy of, of fortune, fate, if you like, as to how it goes from here. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I wish I could be more positive, but uh, I'm, I'm, I've everything crossed and who knows, who knows how it's going to turn out. Ryan, can you do me a favor this evening and have a poke around uh, the back of your couch and anything and, and, and get some spare change in the little <laughs> piggy bank? Because I'll have a poke around too when we can start up a nice Anglo-American uh, consortium and, and, and see what we can do. And we'll bring, we'll bring Ollie in with us. If, if we have to, we don't need to tell him, uh, into the thing as well. Ryan, in, in well, the context, see. in the, in the context of Derby County, and you can go obviously back to the sixties with your, with your dad and everything like that. Is this, is this the biggest kick in the, well, obviously it's the biggest kick in the teeth, but is this the biggest, is this the biggest Derby County news that you've witnessed in your lifetime and from what your dad can remember? I'd say it's probably the lowest ebb. Um, you know, obviously we've been down in the third tier of English football before, but not under such um, unceremonious circumstances. Um, you know, we thought things were bad with the, the three amigos, but in terms of consequences, you know, we're in such a worse situation now. And I think what what's really striking to supporters is that, you know, it's only a couple of years ago that we were on the cusp of um, getting into the Premier League. So it's been a complete whirlwind. And, you know, I'd just like to come back to some of the stuff that, that Ollie said, really. I was just thinking about it. And, you know, my, my dad goes along and by all accounts, you know, the, the club in recent months has become a, a shell of a football club. I mean, the team yeah. have been a complete credit to uh, to the club, to the fans, uh, to the city uh, everybody expected them to struggle Rooney has has somehow put together a team that that is competing with the exception of Birmingham I don't think we've been you know easily second best in uh, in any game okay West Brom we were holding on it's like last ditch defending but you know they've given a good account of themselves there's players clearly playing through the pain barrier and the age barrier um, already and and they've been a complete credit to the club and the fact that Mel Morris we now learn um, hadn't even informed Wayne Rooney. Oh, at least that's what Wayne Rooney has said, that the club was going into administration. I mean, when you've reached that stage of disconnect with the chairman not even informing a manager who's having to deal with extraordinary 
pressures and, and perhaps one of the most difficult jobs in football. And he's not even letting him know that the club is set to go into administration with all the implications for points deductions and, and a two-year embargo, some people say, that accompanies that. I think that's just utterly disgraceful. And, you know, it does risk undermining so much of the other work that, that people credit to Mel as well. I mean, you know, we talked about um, staff at the club. You know, I was thinking this afternoon, um, you know, Owen Bradley tweeted... I uh, don't know what the future will hold. Well, for some of us who live overseas, Rams TV is a godsend. It's the way that we keep connected with the club, you know, especially in the last couple of years through the pandemic, being able to watch all of the matches that aren't on, on Sky or ESPN out here. You know, it really has kept us close to, to, to what's been going on. And you kind of feel for him. But then you start thinking about the implications for the academy itself. We had so many good prospects coming through in recent years. What happens to the academy staff? Is that even viable um, uh, with the administration process the club is is going through? And that's before you reach the kind of potential fire sale if we haven't um, if we haven't got new ownership in place before the January uh, transfer window. By all accounts, you know, going through this process, we have to agree a business plan. You know, there are going to be further restrictions for a couple of years, so we're really going to be. Uh, even if we go, you know, when we go down to League One, uh, in, in all likelihood, we're going to be rummaging around for for free transfers for the next couple of seasons just to fill uh, shirts. And, you know, the one positive from all this is it has brought the fan base back together. Um, it has led to uh, Rooney and the, the players really showing some grit and determination, which we didn't see for, for uh, long phases of last year. Um, and uh, you cannot fault the effort that they've put in. Some of the some of the matches haven't been pretty, um, but you can tell what they're trying to do. We're becoming more dangerous on the counter attack. They're defending with their with their lives in all of these matches. And and actually today, I didn't think they were going to lose the game, uh, even when we conceded, which is a is a first watching derby in the last couple of years. I just worry though. I just worry though that um, this is a kind of um, like ointment on the wound um, for now. And I, you know, I think when those points deductions come in, the minus 12 obviously first, and then potentially getting hit with another minus nine, potentially another uh, three if we can't fulfill um, paying wages. Um, I think that that could really, really knock the stuffing out of the, the team. I hope not. You know, I hope that they continue to. Um, to hold the line as they have done so far. But as I say, I fear it's going to get worse before it, it, it gets better. Mm -hmm. um, all we can do is, is, you know, people there keep going along to the games. We keep paying to watch uh, the games that we can and keep supporting the club um, and, and really enjoy this next few months of watching some of these players because I fear that some of them um, aren't going to be around for much longer. And, you know, it's devastating as a Derby fan, but that's, that's where we are as a club. And I think you've summed it up there, Ryan. You can now watch the rest of the games this season and just sit back and enjoy without the pressure of expectation or anything like that because, you know, we, we know what inevitably this will probably lead to. And, you know, it's difficult, Ryan. It's just – it's very similar to, like, watching the Nationals five or six years ago when they were completely garbage and you'd be at the playoff race for, you know, and you'd have 50 games left to play and you're just watching young people come up and play and, and try to fight and see who sticks around for next season. And I think – Darby's not had a season like that in a long time. Last season got a bit hairy. Um, 
you know, but, but this season you can just literally just go out there and, and let them play, uh, see what sticks and, and hope, you know, that hope that brighter, brighter green shoots are, are, are ahead because, you know, right now it's a low ebb, but as I've always been saying for the last, you know, 18 months or so, bumpy roads lead to beautiful places. And if Darby need to go backwards a step to go forward two steps, then, then so be it. Um, but Ollie, Ryan, that that's all the time we've got for, for right now, guys, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time on a, on a uh, Saturday afternoon, Ryan Bourne and, and Ollie Wright from the Derby County blog. Ollie, Ryan, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Before we move on to our next segment, we are proud to announce that we are going to be partnering with two amazing organizations this year. First is going to be Flat Back Four, and the second is Six Yards Out. Flat Back Four provide a wide range of club um, memorabilia with the kind of foosball four guys um, on it as well. Amazing clothing range. They've got some awesome Derby stuff. So go and check them out. And we'll be doing some competition giveaways um, and various different bits and bobs throughout the season. So stay tuned for that. And our second partnership is going to be with the Six Yard Out folks. They do some amazing different kind of bespoke gifts, uh, all kind of things, Derby County. They've got England mugs, Derby County mugs, and various different kits. And you can get them customized and have old players on them. Um, some really amazing things. You can use Rams Review. As a, as a coupon code there as well and get 10% off. Really proud to be partnering with two amazing retail retail partners. So be on the lookout for those um, and check them out if you haven't already. Um, again, that's, that's Flatback 4 and 6 Yards Out. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the next segment. So then, Derby fans, the only other thing for us to do for this episode is have a look back at that very emotional day on Saturday at Pride Park and ultimately one that sent the fans, I want to say fans own home happy. I'm not sure if that was the, the overriding emotion, um, but uh, with everything obviously that's uh, that's been the, that's been going on over the last few days. But I think uh, you know, just we've we've already chatted about the administration obviously a little bit earlier on in the pod. Just to solely focus it just for five ten minutes on the game against Stoke. From a just from a performance point of view and a result point, point performance and result point of view, I think Derby were incredible Saturday. For everything to obviously have gone on, for for Wayne to to galvanise the squad, to get that bunch of players out there, and perform against a very very decent Stoke City outfit. You know, obviously on our last episode uh, when we were chatting with the YYY files, we found out exactly everything about Stoke. Did Stoke turn up in the way that that you know we, we were expecting? Possibly, possibly not. Did Derby just play that well? Again, possibly, possibly not. But I thought you know everything that that they did, they, they try, they just they gave everything on Saturday, and you can see. And we've said it before, and I'm sure we'll say it many, many times during this season. That is the kind of performance and, and desire and effort and energy that Derby are going to have to put into every single game to stand a hell's chance in staying up this season. And, you know, is that sustainable for the, for the whole season with, with a squad that's as small as ours and obviously with the administration could, could get ripped further apart? We, we don't know. But all we can do is, is continue to take our chances, put points on the board. And at the minute, that's exactly what we're doing. I thought from minute one against Stoke, I thought I thought Derby played well. There was some nice football. We went a little bit back to the tippy-tappy stuff. 
Um, but but we we did it in the right at the right time. We did it in the right areas. Um, and you know what a goal to to open open the the game up from from Max Bird on his wrong foot. He's been threatening to do that for quite some time. I have to say, I, you know, this season so far, I have been so impressed with Max Bird. I think he, he he lulled a little bit last season and we were all kind of wondering where he fit into this side or if, if he does fit into this side on a, on a regular basis. But I tell you what, since this season for me, he's been incredible. And we know that that's in his locker. We've seen him at the post. We've had him cleared off the line. We've had great saves from the goalkeeper. He obviously bent one in in pre-season against Real Betis. But he, he managed to actually get the ball in the back of the net and what a peach and what a goal. And something that we've said a lot so far this season, you know, Derby have taken the lead in a lot of games, but they failed to find that second. Well, they found that second two minutes later in, in a very bizarre circumstance. Stoke City's goalkeeper there hasn't, feel, hasn't covered himself in glory as he's come out for a nothing cross. Uh, for, sorry, from a free kick. He's come out for something that he should not be anywhere near on the edge of his own 18-yard box. Curtis Davis has just challenged at the back. I think it was with Suter, I'm not sure. But he's challenged and it's looped in and, and found the back of the net, 2-0. And, you know, Derby were, were riding that wave at half-time and they had the chances to, to, to put it to bed. Baldock missed a glorious chance in the second half. Obviously, Ravel Morrison rounds the goalkeeper and puts it into the side netting when, side netting when the goal's gaping. Um, and, and that was, you know, their chances that you do have to put away. And then, obviously, Stoke did start to slightly get back into the game. Kel Roos, again, made a couple of smart saves, good saves. But then, you know, another mistake leads to another goal. And again, Kel's beaten at his near post. Um, there's always a question mark when a goalkeeper gets beaten at a near post. But it's just lack of concentration again. And it allowed Stoke back into that game for the final 20, 25 minutes. And, and they did come knocking on the door. But Derby, the Derby of new have, have repelled everything there. And the emotions from the players, from the staff, from the crowd at full time, I was, it was amazing. I was in the South Stand, it was amazing. Um, and we're going to need more of that. We know that. But I am I am becoming more and more confident that we can rely on this team to go out there and put a performance out, which is, which is something that I think I questioned earlier on in the season. I mean, and as we mentioned a second ago, all that can change very quickly with a couple of bad results, a bad injury, obviously the off the field matters, it, that can all change. But at the minute, whilst they, you know, whilst they, they're really trying, we've just got to, we've just got to get behind them and hopefully they, they can keep at this moment in time, keep getting those results. You know, the next two games, Sheffield United and Reading. Um, in fact, today it was announced that Reading are looking at their own nine point deduction so you never know, you know, that's, that's, that's a massive game already uh, if it wasn't big enough. So Derby have just got to keep riding the wave. As we said, four points in a week, um, you know, that, that from the two games there against West Brom and, um, and Stoke. And, and that's a very solid four. If they can return another four from the next two games going into the next international break, you know, that will really, really start to breed more and more confidence. We know, as I say, that can be swept from under the feet very, very quickly with the situation. 
but I'd, I'd just like to, you know, I'd like to just say hats off to the Derby lads because it had been questioned by a few if, if it was in them. And, and so far, they really, really are, are showing it. Um, and I mean, again, on Saturday, Curtis Davis, what a performance. You know, Jaggy Elker again, Shinny got booked after, I think, five minutes and rode the rest of the game on a yellow card. Excellent. Max Bird was, was brilliant. Uh, Sam Baldock, I thought, put quite a shift in. You know, we, we, can, we can name names, but again, another all-round solid performance. Um, man of the match for me at the two would be Max Bird or, or Curtis Davis. I think I think for the goal, we're going to give it Max. For me personally, I'm going to give it Max because it was a great strike on his 21st birthday. What a present. Um, and got Derby on the way. But, you know, Curtis, definitely a very close second to obviously adding to the second, adding that second goal and then keeping it as tight as possible at the back against a pretty handy forward line. Didn't see... Didn't see it 100% on Saturday from Stoke, but you can see some of their passing was was really nice. I have to say some of their play and movement was actually really nice. And I think Derby coped with them well. I mean, Derby are going to have tougher tests. We know that. Um, but all you can do is, is play what you, what you come up against on the pitch. And at the end of the day, it's three points, another three points on the board. First home win, second win of the season. Uh, and... At the moment, it's it's content. We know that the points deduction is coming at some point in the next 24 to 48 hours, where have we had that before? Um, so obviously the table is going to look a hell of a lot different after, well, certainly before the Sheffield United game. What's that going to do to the mindset and the mentality of the players? Who knows? Everything else that's going off, who knows? But if they can continue to show the fight, determination and belief that they've shown in the last couple, certainly, and I think so far, other than Birmingham, nearly every game, they're going to put up a fight. And all we can do as fans is get behind them. And again, the the atmosphere on Saturday was electric. Um, and I've seen on Twitter that, you know, that there's new fan groups coming up and the, the, we've got, you know, Operation Phil Pride Park against Reading Wednesday night. Um, we've sold out. To over 2,000 tickets at 37 quid a ticket for Sheffield United. This fan base is behind this club 100%. And long may it continue and, you know, more support, if that can be given, more support just to try and help this team continue to try and fight and believe that they can. I think until somebody physically stops them, you know, if that comes from extra points deductions, then there's not a great deal that they can do. But if, if they can hold their head high and go, well, we did everything we could on the pitch, we took care of our business, then, you know, they'll all come out with, with a head held high and there'll, there'll, be no, there'll be no fingers pointed at, at, those, at those players or, or, or staff. And we move on, as we say. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Saturday and then a midweek game against uh, Reading at Pride Park. Our next podcast will be looking back at the Sheffield United game and obviously previewing previewing Reading before the next international break. That's all from me. We'll see you next time. Up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. 
on Facebook, it's Rams Review Podcast, or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.